Mike, what is going on with Grey Goose? Dude, I just feel like for the money you spend, it's the smoothest. And we talked about this last week, actually. Hangover is very, very reasonable. Last week, for all the listeners out there, we were at the bar, both drinking vodka drinks. I elected Grey Goose. Nicholas, like usual, had some Tito's. And Tito's out of Texas, fine product. Not saying any disparaging remarks. Fine. But the next day, you, you, you know you were drinking Tito's. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. I mean, come on. I don't know, man. I was. I was out of commission. What but about I mean, taste? Gre- what you- uh, I mean, Grey Goose is good, for sure. I just like you said, you're paying for the non-hangover. That's what they should They should really just advertise it that way. Like, if I was doing marketing, like, just have a guy get up, you know, he's, you know, he gets out of bed, he's good, he goes to work, he goes for a jog after, and then he goes to the bar, and he's Grey Goose. Dude, literally. He won't be useless the next day. They show him punching in on time and shit at his job, like, smiling. Having a kind of, hey! Dude, when did this whole drink responsibly moderation thing, I know that I should know this, like, better than you, because I'm a little bit older than you, but I just remember it one day out of the blue, people being, like, at the end of their ad, like, drink responsibly. I'm like, that doesn't make you money. You don't want anyone to drink responsibly, dude. What the fuck are you talking about, dude? Oh, dude, they should do the side-by-side. The two guys, like, the same guy, 30-second commercial, and you see what happens when you don't drink gay goose or you do drink gay goose. Oh. Dude, wait, come on! This is easy! Fuck you, John Ham. Dude. This shit, shit is fucking easy. At the end of it, it'll be fucking shots fired at Smirnoff. It's like, For real. guy drank Smirnoff, didn't make it to work on time. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the new and improved Pearl Street's fucking studios, by the way, we're a little renamed because we are going to be diving into a little sports, a little news, switching it up a little bit so we can uh, expand the audience, and I am your host, Nick Fugel. We are here with two mics, a sound mixer, and a third mic, his name is Mike Williams. Oh, like the pun. Oh, a little pun. Yeah. Pun. Dude, this is how you know it's a legit studio. Uh, the reason we actually had to rename it studios, not because the content is going to change. It's because Nick went so far out of his way to step our fucking game up. We are actually in a studio now. I hope you guys like the sound quality. What's up? Uh, hopefully this sounds good. Um, yeah, I got a brand new sound mixer. We got two mics instead of one. So we are here for the ultimate Rushmore. We figured we needed to bring out one of the big guns. We have like a good five that are pretty big. You know, Spielberg and James Cameron. Yep. Scorsese and Coppola, but we are going to go with two guys who are near and dear to me and Mike's heart, Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. This was the brainchild for Rushmore, I think. This was the start. They are the first ones I thought of. This was the, like, obviously, if for repeat listeners, and if it's your first time, I'll just give you a little bit of uh, introduction to it. Me and Nick, um, we started hanging out last year, but our friendship really didn't blossom until New Year's Eve, actually. I was uh, at his house in the kitchen, partying with a bunch of our close friends, and he swung the door open at a rate that I don't I don't think Ted Williams swung a baseball bat that quickly, to tell you the truth, and he almost took my fucking head off. And then from that moment, we hung out the entire night, and then heat came on. Or did you put it on at the end of the I day? I think I put it on. Yeah, you might have put it on. And then I was uh, talking to some dumb broad, trying to hook up with her, and Nick, me and Nick, I kept looking over at Nick and doing quotes back and forth. I'd be like, oh, you like this shit, dude? You like this shit? So then ever since then, it's been... Um, um, it's been near and dear to our hearts, so I hope you guys like this shit. 
Yeah, so of course, Heat, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, the famous diner scene, and that's where kind of Rushmore blossomed from, and we're going to dive right in. Mike has Al Pacino, I have Robert De Niro, I chose De Niro in the draft. Mike, number four, Al Pacino, where did you go? Son of a woman. Oh. Some people are going to think it should be higher, considering that he won the Academy Award, but I've been doing some painstaking research over the past two days, which caused me to throw a huge temper tantrum at my draft today, <laughs> <laughs> for no fucking reason, but um, I love the movie, I love him in it, but it wouldn't have been in my top four, to tell you the truth, and I feel like you can't leave the the Oscar one out. And I know we talked about this, like, you, it really shouldn't be the barometer of what the Rushmore should be about. It should be the the top four performances, you think. But I think that any time they actually get the gold, you kind of got to give the movie a nod. Interesting. He was nominated fucking... Something I didn't know until I was looking up Al Pacino. He was nominated four consecutive years, ladies and gentlemen. From 72 through 76, he was nominated for Best Actor, dude. Fucking unbelievable, dude. Godfather, Godfather 2, Dog Day Afternoon, and... You know the last one. Serpico? Yes! Yes! <laughs> yes, my fucking guy, dude. And how about this, uh, years for this, guys? That's, uh, 72, 73, yep. 74, yep. and 75. Yeah, that sounds right. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good four years. Godfather, Serpico, Godfather 2, Dog Day Afternoon. Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah. That's a pretty good four years. Uh, not to it's be... not bad. <laughs> it's not a bad four years. It's didn't really... win, though. Didn't win. But, uh, yeah, um, Scent of a Woman. Great performance in a mediocre film, I think. I think the 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 story was almost there, 80%. I think Chris O'Donnell's story was almost there, 80%, but it just wasn't worthy of the performance that he put down. For anyone who's never seen, seen the film, he plays a retired army colonel who's afflicted with blindness. He's blind. And you don't find out halfway through the... I'll get there. You don't find out halfway through the movie until why he's blind. And he's... Dickhead? Is that a good term? Curmudgeon? To give him more respect? Curmudgeon's a good one. Curmudgeon's a good one. Because he's old. Yeah. But extremely um, wealthy. Extremely successful in his entire life. And um, his character in the film is just so fucking hard to play. I always give him the nod. Alright, so for anyone who's never seen the film, Chris O'Donnell is actually... uh, um, He's an Ivy League student. And he... Terribly, all he wants to do is go home to, I think it's Ohio, right? Oregon. It's actually Oregon. He wants to go home to Oregon to see his family for Christmas. So he's offered a job to watch over a handicapped fucking ex-army, an ex-army officer. In his mind, he's thinking, the amount of money that these people are offering me to look over this guy for, over it's over the Thanksgiving break. So he's, student loans, see you later. Student loans, see you later. And, and the thing that's cool about Chris O'Donnell is he's not, rich in the movie like all of his friends have money he's like a down-to-earth middle-class guy he thinks this job is gonna be cake and then he meets this cantankerous old fuck that he is and the movie basically is about Al Pacino wants to off himself tells Chris O'Donnell that he wants to off himself and Chris kind of slowly talks him off the edge through it and Chris has a problem with at his school with some fucking he doesn't want to snitch on his friends yeah. What did they do? What was the it's, prank? It's, I don't remember. It's, it's, it's the normal... Keep, keep, keep going. Yeah, it's keep normal, going, yeah. It's, it's normal nonsense. It's not, it's not essential. Yeah, so he throughout the film, he learns a little bit more about him and about that he actually blinded himself 
because he's been a lifelong alcoholic and he was drunk during a training exercise and fucking pulled the live pin out of a grenade too soon, held it too long, blew himself up, lost his vision. And then that's why he has such a terrible relationship with his family, why he alienated a lot of people and why he's just downright miserable and wants to fucking die. I mean, if you, his character is so self-assured and so strong. Imagine any army officer, you know, for 30 years, a very down to earth, fucking straight and narrow, confident as fuck, because if you're not confident, people die. You know what I'm saying? Right. That type of dude. But now you've, you've been hit with this affliction that you're basically helpless. You're basically a fucking child, dude. Right. And, he, and he can't handle it. And, it. and it kind of fucked up his relationship with the people. And the reason why I like his performance so much, and I say it all the time, handicap. Dude, people don't understand how hard it is to show chops as handicapped, dude. Acting as a blind man that convincingly, dude, the way that you have to hold your eyes. He's not a blind man, dude. He has to fucking act like he's blind, bump into stuff, get really angry, get fucking... And then the the deep side of it, too, where you learn about, like, he's a drunk and he feels remorseful why he wants to off himself. It's just a... It it is a really great performance, but the movie's not that good. So that's why it's number four. That's a great pick. Thank you. I really like the pick because, like you said, the blindness, that's a big part of it, and... The movie's not that good because it's it's kind of like the Allen Iverson syndrome where you're setting up the movie so Al Pacino can be 90% of the movie. Yeah. So um, the other parts of the movie are going to suffer a little bit. You know, it, it's it's a it's a let's get Al Pacino an Oscar. You know what I mean? It, it's built around Al Pacino. That's a good point. Is that why I don't remember the Chris O'Donnell backstory that much? Exactly I don't even remember. Yeah, exactly. That's you exactly why. Al Pacino put on the performance of a lifetime. The the speech at the end is what won him the Oscar when he gets Chris O'Donnell off. He gets like he gets Chris, I don't want to ruin the movie for anyone who's never seen it, but I don't feel I don't really even recommend the film to tell you the fucking truth. But there's a bunch of iconic two or three minute scenes that he has in the film. When you get, they get pulled over. Right. There's one scene, it's an iconic scene. You guys have probably seen it referenced in pop culture and just didn't know which film it was from. If you know or or you do. Maybe I'm just disrespecting your movie prowess. But um he convinces Chris O'Donnell that he's going to off himself and that there's nothing he can do to stop it. So Chris O'Donnell basically starts to just fucking feel sorry for him. He starts to kind of enable him a little bit. So he's like, look, I want us to go in his dealership. I'm going to convince the fucking guy to let me test drive this Rarity, even though we have no intention of buying it. And he's like, all right. So Chris O'Donnell jumps in the car. They fucking do a beautiful scene by him, too, where he convinces the guy. Right. He's like, oh, this is my grandson or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Chris O'Donnell jumps in the car, they drive around, he's like, alright, let me drive. And this guy's like, you're fucking blind, there's no way you're driving. And then they go back and forth, and he's like, I'm gonna fucking off myself. And he's like, alright, whatever. So he ends up ripping it, ripping it in the middle of fucking, they're in New York, because they go over to White Plains. Yeah, yeah, over the Christmas break, they're in New York City. Ripping it through streets, downtown, they get pulled over, and there's just a cool-ass scene where he has to talk to the cop and convince him that he's a man with sight. It's just fucking great, dude. It's a good pick. Thank you. Where are you going, Kevin? I'm... This was so hard, because I think Robert De Niro, probably more than any other actor, um, should be universally probably the best actor of all time. He really is deserving of it. I, I honestly counted 15 movies that I could have put in here, and that is a fucking ton. When you texted me that before, though, I was not surprised at all. Number four went Midnight Run. Hell motherfucking yeah, dude. Be- what? Because it's... It deserves to be on here because it's light, and it's comedic, and 
it just shows that type of range that he had. And Midnight Run was uh, 1989, him and Charles Grodin, where he's a bail bondsman, basically. And he's owed money from uh, fucking uh, Nick... Uh, oh, God, I can never say his last name. Cassia Vettis, yeah, right? Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm sure that I'm uh, butchering it, but I think it's Cassia no, no, Vettis. No, that's the, that's the other one. It's Nick... Uh, you know, he's in Memento, he's in... Uh, he's in The Fugitive and in... I'll look it up. Yeah, he's the short guy who bugs he, on Tommy Lee Jones' squad in The Fugitive and in U.S. Right. Marshals. He's very good actor. He's been in a lot of great stuff. The terrible guy from The Matrix. Yeah, and um, so Charles Grodin is this accountant who ripped off the mob. And he, he tells Robert De Niro, he says, hey, listen, if you go get this guy, it's going to be like $250,000. All you have to do is go to California, bring him back to New York by the end of the week. So Robert De Niro's like, yeah, sure, I got it. His name's Jack Walsh. So he goes to California, he gets him relatively easily, you know, like 20 minutes in the movie, and now they're going to head back on a plane. And Charles Grodin does everything in his power to not let Robert De Niro get back. And uh, Charles Grodin is this fast-talking, you know, I'll give you the money, you know, and Robert De Niro's the complete serious, like, hey, man, I got two words for you. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and... Robert De Niro's got to get him back. Uh, Joe Pentilione. That's his name. That's his fucking name. Jesus Christ, not Nick. And just the way they're back and forth and the way that Robert De Niro is able to have this, like, he had never really had this before in his career. This, you know, he was light. And, you know, like, he seemed very personable for the first time. And it's just a great movie. Dude, I feel like we're gonna go back to fucking, like, one. For anybody who's listened to this shit, we had, like, a five, like, little minute tangent about it where you said you're like, dude, Leo has nothing else to do now after he's won the Oscar except do a buddy a buddy film. Like, right. do something light to show your range that will ingratiate you to people. Maybe not ingratiate, because people love Leo. Right. But this is what you're talking about. Right. This is, like, the thing where it's like, look, I'm an established fucking guy. It's 1989. Right. This guy's been killing it since the early 70s. He's right. got nothing to prove to fucking anybody. He right. could have retired if he fucking wanted to. Right. With the shit that he had on his resume. And he took a chance, and it was just gold. It was he's just great. gold. What, what, do you think the, what do you think the chemistry between them is? It's because he's the blue-collar ex-cop who didn't want to take the money. And there's a little backstory too with Midnight right. Run too. You learn you learn about them, you know, and they're and they're more alike than they than they want to admit. Right. Basically by the end of it, they become like kind of friendly. But one's like a blue collar guy, one's more like a white collar guy, obviously. So like they butt heads a little bit, but it's it's cool. It's fucking cool. It, it, it's just how playful De Niro is, like with like the black FBI agent, Alonzo Morning, how he's always playing with him with the sunglasses. <laughs> And uh, how he messes with uh, Dennis Ferreira, who of course oh, is in this, yes. as the fucking mobster who's yes. looking to take down Charles Grodin. And it's just one of those perfect, like, late 80s, early 90s kind of films where there's a bunch of stuff going on, and it all fits in together, and, you know, you got that one final scene at the airport, and the chemistry between Charles Grodin and Rob De Niro, which is fantastic. And it's a great movie. Highly recommend Men I Run. No, I, I really like that pick, dude, and I really like it why you did it, too, dude. Like, if you don't show range, if you don't do, like, and uh, we, we spoke about it when we were doing, um, <clears throat> when we were doing uh, Tom Hanks and um, Denzel, socially conscious films will make it to Rushmore. 
big topics that are acted well and not condescending. You know what I'm saying? It's easy to be condescending when right. you want to make like, you know, I never saw 42. Let me just put it that way, guys. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't watch films like that for a reason because I feel like they could be mismanaged. But like, it goes the other way. If you're usually a very fucking deep, heavy guy and you can go to the light side, dude, range is the best. And I'm just going to drop a little bomb here. Um, you said that if you if you get the gold, it should be on there. I'm not putting Raging Bull on here. I don't blame you. That's the one movie that Robert De Niro did win his Oscar for, yeah. and it did not make this list. So, on that note, Mike, number three. I, I'm so curious as to where you went with these. It's so great. Uh, I went hometown pick. You're going to hate me. Where'd you go? You hate this performance. I went Donnie Brasco. I don't hate... The, well, I do hate the performance. I, I hate the character. Not that's the what it is. And, All right, so go ahead. And, and, and shout out to Jay Fugel for this shit, too, because I knew that he liked my synopsis on it. No one likes the character. No, like, dude, I was the re like, all right, this is a hometown pick for me. I was so upset today at work because I wanted to put Carlito's way on this shit, dude, because I wanted to talk about Carlito Brigante so fucking bad on this podcast. And then I was looking through it and Donnie Brasco is one of my favorite um, Al Pacino films. And I was, I put it at three and I was thinking to myself, am I putting it at three because I'm elevating the performance or is it really that socially significant to what he was doing? And then I realized that it kind of was dude it's 1997 he's on his second streak at this point because in the 80s he didn't do much like he made a lot of films but nothing great like at the right through, through the 70s he killed it obviously up until 79 and then the 80s there was the couple but then people forget dude 1990 dick tracy back at it again fucking um heat comes out in 95 something came out in 93 too and then 97 so Yes, and Woman's 93, he wins the Oscar, and then 97 again. So this is his second run right. of great films back to back to back to back. Right, so, he was completely gone in the 80s. Yeah, he was completely gone in the 80s, yeah. yeah. And, and the funniest thing about it is not for lack of films made. He made, like, six films in the 80s. None right. of them were that good. Yeah. yeah. Nominated once, though. For? I forgot, but I looked at it, but it's, like, 88, he was nominated again. This guy has more nominations than fucking the Republican Convention. I'll tell this guy <laughs> anytime. <clears throat> but he plays Lefty in the film... And I was wrestling with myself, like, am I just being a homer? Am I just taking the hometown pick because I want to talk about this film? But then I thought about it. Another thing that we've, we haven't really accomplished, well, we pseudo-accomplished it, but not really, is, dude, true story. True story, hard to fucking do. Because you can't take that much artistic license, especially with mob movies, because people always know when you start fibbing shit. The people really lived and died. They really served prison sentences and there's fbi photographs of these people so you becoming an actual person which is a which is harder to do than making up a character in your head you know what i'm saying like i'm sure coppola told him like oh michael corleone is this that and this but then you make it you make it yourself because he's not a real person right when you play lefty you got to be as close to fucking lefty as you can be with doing a little bit of al pacino so i gave him that too and I just really like the fucking film. The film's about an aging, want like low level capo in the mob. Like he's an older dude, and he sees dudes getting promoted above him, and he's not resentful, but you could tell that he knows that he's paid his dues and has deserved more. You know, and uh, the FBI takes a really good crack at it, and they send this guy, uh, a Joe. What's his name? Joe Pistone, in yeah, real life, is his name Joe Pistone. Joe Pistone, Johnny Depp. Yeah, and he's played by Johnny Depp as Donnie Brasco, the namesake of the movie. 
And um, to tell you the truth, it's weird for this pick to because he's actually a supporting character in this film. Johnny Depp's actually the main, right. the main. But his his performance was so fucking good. He he plays the dude who accidentally lets the informant into the mob, you know, and he believes to the very end that Johnny Depp wouldn't betray him. Not because Johnny Depp didn't let on. It's because he was so emotionally broken and, like, so, like, desiring, a, a, like, a mentor figure. You know what I'm saying? Like, that he just couldn't... Because his kid sucks. He hates his kid in the movie. And Johnny Depp is going to be, like, his kid. But then, I'll, like, obviously it's his downfall because he fucking, you know, he has this guy infiltrate the mob. It's just... Ugh. I, I see where you're going with it because... And this also matters because of, you know, his past. And, you know, obviously he was the most famous, one of the most famous gangsters of all time, if not the most famous gangster of all time, as Michael Corleone. And Pacino plays a very unsympathetic character. He, he's kind of a pussy, you know? Mm-hmm. He's... Like, when you see gangsters and you see them, they're frustrated, you want them to act on it, but... You know, he just kind of pisses and moans, and then he lets, you know, like you said, Donnie Brasco into the gang. He's the one who lets him down. Yep. So it's very hard to play an unsympathetic character, and you got to get a lot of, you're right, a lot of points for that. And, you know, that's a good pick. Only because, like, if it was a dude, I you, you reference it well, if it was a dude who wasn't always the alpha. Dude, let's look at, let's look at what he does best. Whatever he does best, dude. Even when we, we, we referenced insomnia in the last podcast. Hmm, what's a good term I could use? Robin Williams has him bent over a barrel. Still alpha male. Still talking shit to the dude who could put him behind jail, put him behind bars for fucking ever. Right. Michael Corleone, at first, doesn't want anything to do with it. You know what I'm saying? Then becomes the most gangster motherfucker of all time. Then switch it, not even a gangster film, Serpico. Cop so stuck in his morals that he's willing to die than be fucking crooked. And then you see him playing this. A shell of a man. They put makeup on him and they made him look older than he was. Because at this time, he wasn't that aged of a man. He was old. But, dude, they made him look old. They made him look run down. They show him watching the fucking National Geographic. And guess what? Sonny Black. uh, Michael Madsen. Shout out to Michael Madsen. Great. Fucking great in this film, Michael Madsen. He plays Sonny Black. Sonny Black, what? Probably, what? 25 years his junior. Gets promoted to head Capo over him. You know, it's just he takes shots the whole movie and he take and he just hard thing to do. And believe but be, be believable, dude. How believable is he, dude? It's like the thing about acting is people always want to be like, "Oh, it's a strong performance, it's a strong performance, that dude." But realism is a fucking hard thing to capture, dude. And for someone who's used to being the alpha, and not to mention, dude, Johnny Depp. Not many people get on the screen with Johnny Depp and outact him. Johnny Depp's probably got 35 more minutes in the fucking film them because he goes home all the time. He steals the show. Tell me he doesn't steal the movie away from Johnny Depp. It's, it's like it's so he does so well that I hate him for doing it. For hate the him best, for doing it so well. Yeah. Where are you going? Oh man, number three, dude. This was my hardest one because there's a few, like I said, there's a few movies that I thought could have fit well here. Casino was one of them. I love Casino. I love Sam Rothstein. I couldn't do it. Damn it, that would have been the back-to-back true, true stories. <laughs> I know. I, I, I just got done watching it again, too. He's so good. Such a good movie. It For me, it came down to Heat and Goodfellas. Yeah. And I went with Heat 
Okay. Because he just has more of a presence in that movie. Far more screen time. And Goodfellas was more of the Goodfellas. When 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 you look at a movie, there's always that there's that one thing is based around. It could be the director. It could be an actor. It could be a supporting actor. It could be the writing, the dialogue. Goodfellas was more about Scorsese literally just firing on fucking 12 gazillion infinity fucking cylinders. Space shuttle. He was shit. He's just... It, 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 it was perfect. Everything he did was perfect. And Robert De Niro was great in that as Jimmy the Gent, James Conway, but in Heat, it's more about Robert De Niro. Now, it's about Robert De Niro and Al Pacino, and we, we've talked about this before, actually, but I feel like Al Pacino is playing off of Robert De Niro and not the other way around. I feel like Robert De Niro has the first banana seat in that movie. And if, if you've never seen Heat, stop this podcast right now. Go put it on. Go clear out like two and a half hours out of your schedule. Michael Mann, 1995. Robert De Niro is a... a, a he's, he's a bank robber. He's a criminal. You know, he, he does all odd jobs. You know, he, he's a professional criminal. He has his crew with Val Kilmer and Al Pacino's the head cop trying to stop him. And they're in L.A. Great L.A. movie. And Robert De Niro is just fucking great in this movie. Just that that scene where he's sitting at the bar, he's reading a book about fucking minerals. It's a book about precious metals. <laughs> and a chick sits down next to him that he ends up falling in love with, and she's like, "What?" He's like, "What are you reading?" It's a book about metals. He's like, "What? What? 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 what, what this is my business. What? What? What does it matter if I'm sitting here?" And. It's just, he's just so fucking cool. And he's like, he's the scariest guy on the fucking planet. Like, when, he, when he's talking to, when he's talking to Van Zandt, he said, there's, there's a dead line. There's a dead man on the other end of this line. I mean, and he's, he's just talking in some fucking Spanish kitchen. You know what I mean? Like, he's just, the way he deals with Val Kilmer and his fucking addictions and his gambling, it's so fucking good. So good. Oh, I fucking love you, kid. Ugh. You don't even know, and man. I had, I, so I had, I had to go Heat. I felt like Heat was the right move, just because he, he just has more of a presence in Heat than Goodfellas. What? Diner, oh. diner scene excluded, because it's like picking Jordan in yes. the NBA draft. What's your favorite scene? Oh, man. Um, just him. Just him. Ju- just him? Just him. Like, your favorite scene, diner scene excluded, because that's obviously off the fucking table. Right, because, yeah. Um... When he's talking to Van Zandt. On the phone? It has to be. You know, I'll, I'll one-up you. What? You know what my favorite De Niro scene in that whole fucking movie is? Which one? Well, besides the diner diner scene, off the table, folks, we're saying this. When he kills Van Zandt. Oh. Dude, you've ne- nothing has ever been expressed more in one sentence than anything else in the world, dude. Yo, Van Zandt lives in the fucking Hollywood Hills, dude. The Hollywood Hills. Now, imagine, for anyone who's never seen pictures of the Hollywood Hills, I know we have a lot of foreign listeners... And the roads are almost inaccessible if you don't live there. Right. Like, it's, like, sheer cliff faces. So this guy drives up there and then traverses this gentleman's backyard until he finds a patio set. And he's very upset with the dude who used to be a part of his crew. I don't want to ruin the movie, but he's looking He's looking for a fucking guy. And, and he's gonna risk his whole life with the woman that he loves to go see Van Zant because he's got to fucking know where this guy is and he knows that Van Zant knows where this guy is right because they want to pull off one more job and yep. if they kill Van Zant, it'll put more heat on him yeah dude he fucking 
rolls to this guy's house because he's looking for Wayne Grow. He grabs that fucking dude. He grabs a piece of patio furniture, throws it through his back window, pulls that Sig Sauer out, dude. Gives him that deep look right in his eye. Looks at him. What does he say? He goes, where's Rain Grow? This guy goes, how the fuck should I know? Deep stare. Boom, boom. Two to the chest. Turns around and walks out. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot when I explain it. But if, if anyone could see his body language, the intensity, the way he was walking, the fucking eye contact he made. Dude, I, I'll tell you this. Most acting is nonverbal. And that scene right there is the most chilling scene in the fucking movie. Where's Rain Grow? How should I know? Looks at him deep. Double tap to the chest. He, fucking, um, he, he, his presence in that movie, when he's on screen, not even speaking, when he's, like, like you said, Nick, you're 100% right, his presence in that film is heavy and gritty, great pick, fucking love you. And the, he wins the diner scene, there is a point in the diner scene where Al Pacino, he doesn't smirk, but he, like, you can see the facial expression, like, he has to put his head down real quick, where he just, oh my god, that's such a great scene, but anyway, Mike. Where are you going? Number two, how about you know? You you ready to talk about heat for five? Oh, it's going That's my fucking guy. Number two, heat. Oh my god, heat, dude. So this is the fucking yin to the yang here, people. The funniest thing we talked about it a little bit with the midnight run and Grogan thing. Fucking in. Heat, Al Pacino oh plays. Yeah, I know. Dude, we're, dude, we're, we're firing all cylinders. We already know what we're going to do. He had a great ass! He had a great ass! And your head was all up in it! Yo, he's the yin to the yang. And, it like, really when this movie came out, I was, you know, obviously older because I'm older. I was eight years old when this, when this movie came out. And I remember the, like, the, like, the, this is how the film was marketed, people. There's a scene right before the infamous diner scene we talk about where he pulls him over on the highway, and that was pretty much the trailer because yeah. they didn't want to. They showed a little bit of gunfighting right. to get people drilled. Like you know, I remember the trailer like it was fucking yesterday. <laughs> they showed a little bit of gunfighting in the street to get people drawn in, and then it was just this guy walking up to the window. And he's like, "Let me buy a cup of coffee," and then the screenshot, and it was like Pacino De Niro on screen for the first time ever because this was the first movie. It's not the first movie that they're in together. We'll get to that in a minute. We sure, yeah, we sure will. <laughs> yeah, we'll probably get to that in a yeah, minute, we boys. Sure will. Yeah, but uh, but it's not the first movie they were in together. But it was the first movie where they're on screen on the same time. Yes. And to tell you the truth, they're only on screen at the same time together in that fucking diner scene, dude. You watch a three-hour-long movie. Well, well, he, well when he kills vi- him. Ah, oh, in the very end. Well, in the very end, yeah, when yeah. he kills him, but in the very very and then, I, I technically wouldn't even call that together because it's shot, shot, right. shot, shot, shot. Right. Like you know what I'm saying? Like right. yeah. Right. Like, but, like you said, my, th- this movie was marketed as Pacino, Pacino De Niro right together. And literally the whole yep. movie, like, like, my, like Michael Mann came up with the whole story to Heat as a clever way to put them on screen <laughs> together. Yes, dude. It's a clever way to literally put them in this diner where they're sitting across from each other having a conversation. But the rest of the movie does not matter, even though it's extremely well-written and extremely well done. It is just a farce to get these two together to sit down and have it have some weight. That is the whole reason this movie was made. That's the coolest thing I think you've ever said on the podcast is that this guy literally wrote 185 minutes of dialogue for three minutes of dialogue. He's like, I really just want to write three minutes of dialogue, but I'll write, I'll get a story around it. Yeah. I'll get a story around it. But no, he plays the lead, rob, hop, uh, what? He plays the lead what now, Mike? Does he do? He plays the lead robbery homicide detective 
in LA, which basically means when you do that in LA, you get special task force. You gotta go rogue. Right. He has pretty much fucking carte blanche is what the French would say. He can do whatever the fuck he wants at any time. And um he's the only one who's peeling back the onion at all. It seems like he's working with a bunch of short sighted people who could never match wits with a master criminal like the like the person that Fugil just brought up. Right. And throughout the film, the coolest thing about it is is the intensity of De Niro you can never really... Which is cool, I think, that man did. You never really get to him. Because he's a dude that... In the diner scene, they say it. He's like, dude, how do you expect me to be a guy if I'm, like, you know, I'm this guy? That's who I am. Right. But Pacino never accepted that he was the dirtbag, like, deep down, that De Niro is in the movie. So he had, like, pseudo-relationships. Te- terrible husband. Right. Never home. Terrible stepfather fucking not a good friend like you hear about he doesn't call people back he never sees it all he wants to do is work dude he's a fucking super selfish terrible person to go back to what we're saying dude he always plays hard characters and I think throughout the film you realize that they're more alike than they want to admit and then in the diner scene it's the culmination where they come and he's like sitting here right now I like you he says he's like I like you but if I if I'm there and you're there I'm gonna have to take you down but then, like Nick said, this son of a bitch beats my actor, kills this guy in the day. It's not even fucking close. I don't even think, dude. I don't even think it's close. But it's just cool because it's another hard role, dude. Like, people don't understand. When you have a movie that's so enthralled, like, dude, it's such a fucking good, just crime film. Like, they didn't have to get deep into the character's right. backstory at all, and it right. still would have been a great film. So you're bouncing back from... I'm so enamored with trying to catch this guy and respect him. I respect him more than anybody else in the world because he's my fucking counterpart. He's the dude that I was put on the planet to catch. It's my shit. But then also the other side where he's like, dude, you are a train wreck. I wouldn't want you to balance my checkbook, but you can compartmentalize it and be so good at what you do. It's just a good role, dude. Good role. Fire and ice, dude. It really is fire and ice. I mean, just watching Pacino go to work and he is fucking fantastic. He's flipping tables. When he's interrogating Hank Arisa, I fucking lose it. It's so fucking great. It's too good, dude. I have been waiting six months to send you that picture for the right time. (laughs) It just came in perfectly. I fucking love you, dude. So you ready for the shock of the century number two? Yeah. I'm going Vito Corleone, Godfather 2, Robert De Niro. Not number one. I'm going number two. Wow. Yo, people, people, people. <laughs> this just in, this just in right now, I thought that I was going to walk through the rest of Fusil's list, and he just blew my mind. Here, number people. two. Probably, all right, first of all, Vito Corleone, definitely the most iconic. First of all, Godfather 1 and Godfather 2, because... I know where you're going, obviously, for number one. It's not really a fucking question. Yeah. You're going with Michael. Yeah. Godfather 1, Godfather 2, the most famous movies we have. America dominates cinema. The The best 500 movies, probably a good 95% of them has come from America. The top budget, grossing movies, probably 98%. We dominate pop culture. It's what we're most known for in America. We inv- that and athletics. We invented pop culture. Yeah, literally. Godfather 1 Godfather 2 are crown jewels for sure people can argue back and forth which one's better which one's worse I think Godfather 1's better than Godfather 2 that's just be, that's just me it's it's cleaner Godfather 2's still fucking amazing he plays Vito Corleone M- Marlon Brando 
one of our other crown jewels wins for Godfather 1, the reason why Al Pacino uh, doesn't win for Michael, because he wins for Vito, his father, the Godfather, literally. Godfather 2, you know, Al Pacino plays Michael, the continuation of the story, and at the same time, we're flashing back to a young Vito Corleone, played by who other than Robert fucking De Niro. And it was almost like this role was like made for him. Like if if fate is real, which apparently it is, according to me and Mike, because PTI was running a Shaq versus fucking Tim Duncan debate while Casino and Goodfellas are on back to back at AMC right now. So apparently fate is real. I mean, there's what, what can I say, Mike? What, what can what more can I say that doesn't need to be shown by this movie? I mean, it's literally like. A, it's like talking about Neil Armstrong landing on the fucking moon. That's what it's like. It was so fucking far ahead of its time. It's ridiculously far ahead of its time. At L- a good 20 years. Like, people saw one, and they were like... Obviously, it flipped the whole institution on its head. They that were was like, it. They were like, what the fuck? But then two came out, and they were like, uh, it's gonna be two. You know you know how it is. When, whenever you see a two pass something, you're like, oh, blase. And then they were like, wait, this guy's doing... This guy's doing flashbacks? This guy's doing flashbacks and have him cut back in? What the fuck, dude? This might be better. But I I agree with you. I will take one over two. But I understand the sentiment. Why people would say two over one. Because they were so fucking amazed at what Coppola did. Who's the Don in two that he shoots? Do you remember his name? No. Remember he turns the light off. And he fucking has this guy fucking come. And he fucking blows it. Dude. The non... Because people don't understand, dude. In one... It's old man Vito right. talking a lot. Deservedly so, Brando won. Right. In two, a lot of the scenes, he's not speaking. It's about the action. It's about him commanding a presence right. with no fucking words spoken. Right. And and it, the thing I like about his performance, too, which I really like what you brought it up, is he channels Brando. Like, Brando in the second one, very stern person, but also a huge, um, what do I want to say, like, a delegator, not a delegator, a diplomat, that's the word I'm looking for, like, he would rather not go to the mattresses if they didn't have to, right, and in the did. first one, he's very calm, have you ever noticed, he's always trying to keep things calm, yeah, they killed, they killed Sonny, they killed his fucking son, and he was still like, he was hey, still alright, yeah, like, there's only gonna be more bloodshed, exactly, and you can see De Niro taking that same kind of, like, passiveness, but stir like you could tell he's gonna do gangster shit, but never overtly gangster. It's right. always just like I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna kill these motherfuckers. Silent killer. Yeah. yeah, but I'm gonna do it, and I'm gonna be respectful to everyone. Right. You see how he treats people. It's so cool. Like Don Vito in the in the in the first Godfather. You see, like he's held in such high esteem. And obviously, the first scene that you ever see him in, he's granting people fucking wishes on his on his wedding day. But when I'm he goes out, he's yeah, he's held in such high esteem. He's so sweet to everyone. And in the second one, where De Niro's playing him, and it's not Brando, he's doing the same thing, but as a much younger person. Right. And that's, yeah. Fucking gold. Gold pick. So go ahead. Number one, Al Pacino, say it. M- Michael Corleone. Michael Corleone. Dude, I don't give a fuck what any person says, and I know we've been stroking Cop- Coppola's dick for a while, but it's a lot of Coppola. It's a lot of Robert Duvall. It's a lot of great, great screenwriting. I'm, I don't want to give it all to Al, but this is what I'll say is, he was the main role in the best and most influential gangster movie of all time. Any movie that he's made since, he's been trying to top. There's been three fucking films that I left out, like, I hate Scarface, I think it's a terrible movie, but a lot of people like it, and not, I don't... 
I don't knock people for for liking the movie. Me, personally, I don't like it. But if you look at that Carlito's way... Dude, he's tried to top Michael Corleone his entire career and can't fucking do it. He's the most influential character for the for a certain genre of film of all time. It's the most influential dude who's ever, who's ever lived. Okay, dude, fate is real. Because I, my, what I was going to open with, with my opening little quip, was in this uh, this morning I was in the shower, I was dancing a thriller. I almost fucking took a Hell shit. Hell yeah. I almost took a fucking what shit. Song, what song almost gave it to you? Thriller. No, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you meant the album. Yeah. Oh, I, was, I was talking about the album, yeah. but it was. So... I was thinking about it, like, you have to, it, it's detrimental, because as an athlete, you peak naturally as a human being, right? You get there, you're, you know, at 25, 26, until whatever, it runs out, depending on what you're doing. As an artist, you don't want to peak early, because you're then trying to, like you said, trying to catch up to that. Now, what, do, what do heroin addicts call it? They call it chasing the dragon. Chasing the dragon. And I was thinking about this with Thriller. Like, okay, yes, it had Billie Jean, it had Beat It, it had the fucking song off of E.T., for Christ's sake. And then Thriller, and then the movie directed by fucking John Landis. It had all that, yes, granted. Best-selling album of all time, one of the best albums of all time. But, if that was his first album, it's a problem. You need those first, you need Off the Wall, you need Bad. Thriller was his third album. You need it to be like that. And like you said, he's been trying to chase The Godfather. Now, he was in a couple movies before that. Great, very, and, and, and great in those films, too. But very small movies. Yep. This was his first, what we'd like to call, major performance, major studio, major album, whatever you want to say. And like you said, he's been fucking chasing it because he was so good. The transformation... Of the World War II war hero to the fucking mob boss at the end of the movie. It's the not even the same fucking person, dude. It's amazing. When you see him for the first time at his fucking Connie's fucking wedding, that dumb bitch Connie, dude. She's getting married to fucking Carlo, that piece of shit, piece of dude. Shit, woman, you see him standing there. You see him actually sitting there, sitting. They're, si- they're sitting there. He's sitting there with Kay. And he's in his fucking dress browns, you know, he just got home from the war, everything's good, he's so fucking quiet, diminutive, lies to her the entire way. What is your family, why, why is everybody here to see your father? <laughs> lies to, to, right to her fucking face the entire time, doesn't want anything to do with it, then it's a slow progression, wants nothing to do with it. Then, the Don gets shot, grows a little bit more balls, goes to the hospital, saves his life, gets knocked up and crushed, he grows a little bit more balls, fuck it. Shoots the fucking cat. Mob hit. In in that's one of the best scenes. That's that's when he changes. That scene, it's fucking Duval, him, and uh James Conn. Sonny. Sonny. Yeah. So it's fucking Tom Hagen, Michael Corleone, and Sonny Corleone. Santino Corleone. Santino. Santino Corleone. And Miguel Corleone. For you for you movie buffs <laughs> out there. And they're and they're talking about it and they they're thinking about the whole thing with the Tataglias and how the heroin's coming in and they just got off pop so they're not going to be able to move the smack without his say-so so they know they're going to come from again and what's the best course of action? We kind of want to whack this guy. We kind of we kind of can't get near him because McCluskey, the the corrupt Irish sergeant, right. is pretty much Tataglia's fucking bodyguard in this shit. Or it's not... Tataglia's who they're running for but it's this guy. Uh, what's his name? Solozzo. Yeah, Solozzo. So, um... Mike... Offers himself up as tribute for all you Hunger Game fans out there. He's like, "What about me? I'm a pussy in their eyes. I right. fucking they'll I, never, yeah, they'll never suspect. Yeah. I'll do it." He goes, "I know how to handle a gun. I've been in the war. I fucking killed people before." And and Santino's like, "Dude, you're not a gangster. You're fucking, you know, blah blah blah. You're this and that." He goes, 
He fucking does his deed. He fucking blows both their heads off, goes to Italy, makes his stripes, and then that's the coolest thing, too. You remember in the beginning of the movie, motherfucker doesn't even know how to speak Italian. Goes to Italy, because learns Italian, like dude. Goes to Sicily, comes a fucking straight gangster. He says, has his first wife murdered, as Nick is referencing right now. Becomes the dude who he's gonna be. Ah, oh, dude. Like, me, all my notes are kind of bullshit right now because all the notes that I have written in front of me is basically just talking about how influential it was and how, like, like, the, like, you gotta think about it, dude. He's, there's no slouches in these fucking movies that no. he's with, dude. It's fucking no, dude. Robert Duvall, already established dude. Killed it. Marlon Brando won an Oscar. James Caan, best performance of his career. Marlon dude. Brando, that was it. That was it. I mean, dude, we're, t- we're talking about Marlon Brando. I mean, this guy was an American icon. He was, Come on. He was it. And I, he comes in there and holds his own with these fucking Mark legends, for, dude. He was Mark Antony, for God's sake. <laughs> and he killed it. Like you said, that was, the, that was the biggest thing I noticed watching Godfather 1 for the first time was Robert Duvall. Which is, Tom Hagen's my favorite character. He just put on the clinic. Dude, you know what? Tom Hagen's my favorite character, hands down. The, fir- the first half hour was all Robert Duvall. Go to California. The fucking, the head horse in the fucking bed scene. I mean, it was all him. And... What can you say? Like you, what can you say that hasn't already been said? I mean, it's it's the crowning achievement. It's it's fucking on my wall right there. He is fucking right there as Michael Corleone with Robert De Niro standing behind him. Top one hundred movies listed. Uh, it was it was written. It was uh, voted by the Screen Actors Guild, uh, not Screen Actors Screen Directors Guild. Top one hundred movies ever made, and you were in a star-studded cast. And I, there, I don't think there's anywhere in the world you can go where I could say the, the words Michael Corleone in succession and you don't think about Al Pacino. And how well he acted. It's so fucking crazy because my whole spiel right now is not about how well he acted. It's crazy. The acting is so good that we can't even fucking get into it. It's just, it's such an epic. When you buy it on box set, they call it a, they call it the Godfather epic and he is, dude. He is it. He's Ulysses. Godfather 1, He's Godfather Ulysses, two. Dude. That's it. It's fucking unbelievable how well this gentleman accent it did. And the, the sheer weight, dude. Like, alright, dude. So when people are making films like Let's say, what's a good one that I could say? Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson. Okay. They knew this was going to be big. Right. Like, there's some films that you're making when you're making them, and you know it's going to be big, and that should add some pressure. Like, Blair Witch Project, fucking Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction. Nobody knew. Like, Reservoir Dogs, nobody fucking knew. You could just go out there and just be Michael Madsen. Dude, I guarantee you right now, if Michael Madsen thought that that shit would have been that big, he would have acted terribly. But he was he was able to go out there and just be him fucking self, dude. Right. You know what I'm saying? You could just go feed off each other. It's good. But I feel like with this movie, they already knew they were going to shoot the second one when they were shooting the first one. You're you're working with all of these legends. And it didn't daunt him, dude. It's just... Ah, he's just fucking... He's the dude. Of course. Michael Corleone. Where are you going for one, though, you Holy son of a bitch? Holy shit, I have to top that. Good lord. Dude. Where the no, but dude, I don't understand where you're going because you fucking threw me a loop with that. Oh, and people too. I talked with Nick about it before. I rope one and two together. Yeah. That's the only reason why two wasn't on my list because 
I texted Nick and was acting if it was kind of bush league, and he said no because I always put Kill Bill one and two together just to piss kind of just to kind of piss Nick off. Which Tarantino <laughs> says is one film. So yeah, exactly. I'll take it as one. I'll take it as one. It's but no, but yeah, because like you said, Godfather one, Godfather two is the same story. It's the same story. It's just, it's just a they continuation. Just, they, they had of, to split it up because it was fucking three hours and three hours. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. I mean, so yeah, so yeah, Michael Corleone one and two. Good lord, I have to top that. Where the fuck are you going? Robert De Niro, his number one performance. On his Mount Rushmore. Oh, this is hard. Taxi Driver. Yeah, I'll take that. No, that's not hard, dude. That's fucking real good movie, dude. So, I had seen it before, and I watched it again last night. And as I'm watching it, it just dawns on me, like, this was, maybe, besides Hitchcock, who, of course, was the master of the the psychological thriller... I feel like what Scorsese did was make the first modern psychological thriller. It's less than two hours. It's basically just De Niro, his fucking, his dive into insanity. He's an ex-Marine, starts off with him in New York City, he's getting a cabbie driver. I don't care how many hours I work. I don't care what parts of town I go into. I don't give a shit. I just do what I do. And he's doing it, and his just his the progression into madness is perfect. It's not too slow. It's not too fast. It's literally just step by step by step. You believe it. It's methodical, just like his character's dive into fucking insanity is fucking methodical. And he's he's getting a little weirder, and now he's getting the red eyes, and now you can tell he's thinking about shooting the presidential candidate, and he's so desperate, and it's just, what a perfect time to shoot that movie. Mid-70s New York, the fucking piece of shit, seventh circle of hell downtown New York was at that time. It was fucking hot. They had rolling blackouts, Son of Sam, the fucking Yankees sucked. It was a terrible time to live in New York. Not to mention, people forget about how bad Times Square was. You couldn't bring your family to Times Square in the 70s. It was all prostitutes and red light shows. a chick to a fucking triple X movie. It acts like nothing is wrong with it. Like, it it's wasn't... Like, oh, like, yo, you don't like this? Like, oh, I'm sorry. No. Nah, nah, nah. Dude, in 1980, there was 2,000 murders in New York City, and they captured that shit. Late 70s, it was fucking terrible place, dude. And he's just... He just... So he's slowly morphing into this psychopath. And he becomes obsessed with Jodie Foster, a young Jodie Foster, who's a hooker. Dude, talk about Harvey fucking Keitel is the bimp with the long hair, dude. I was like, holy shit. And the it, it's it's the final half hour that does it. Oh, yeah. Shaves his head into the mohawk. Just standing there looking at the presidential candidate with that little smile on his face. And the the sharpening of the fucking weapons, the... the uh, it's just... It, it, you know what? I'm just gonna start clapping. Just, just, just bravo, Mr. De Niro. That is where I like to go with number one. Mike, your thoughts? Is it, is it more Scorsese than him though? Because I don't know if that's not his best. That's Martin Scorsese's best movie, probably, dude. 
the way that shit is shot. We'll get into that when we get to. You get, dude. You go fucking literally insane when you're watching it. Remember when he falls in love with Sybil Shepherd? Yes. Remember when he first meets Sybil yeah, Shepherd yeah. and that he just dude? Walks right in. And the way, the way that Scorsese shoots her makes you feel crazy about her. You know, like you feel. Every, I'm not. I'm not downplaying his performance. His performance is fucking great. Because here's my thing about his performance. I feel like Scorsese was like, all right, I need you to do this, this, that, and this. But, dude, the amount of time that's spent alone on camera by him, not speaking to anybody else, is daunting, dude. And that's hard for people to do. It's easier to work off of people. It's easier to ad-lib. It's easier to work off scenarios. It's easier to do shit, dude. A lot of it is him going crazy by himself, dude. Right. Which is fucking captivating. His eyes, like you said, you like he looks camera's eyes look wild. He starts fucking doing crazy shit. No, great movie, dude. I like the pick. I like the pick because of how much the movie relies on him alone. In a lot of other in a lot of other picks, mine and yours, what fucking weird actually. I didn't think about it until right now. A lot of other picks, mine and yours, great ensemble casts, and they were going for it. Heat all well-established actors, Godfather, established actors, Midnight Run, you know, yeah. some good actors. This one, there was a lot of great actors, but none of them were established yet. Now, nobody in the movie was really that right. famous. Like, Harvey Keitel wasn't famous, Sybil Shepard wasn't famous, Jodie Foster was 13. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, like, it was pretty much him. Yeah. And he had to direct the whole movie and be the visceral character. So, yeah, no, great pick. I like that pick. It, it doesn't work in the 90s, but it does work in the 70s because going for it wasn't established yet. Like, going for an Oscar, it, it didn't exist yet, because it's 1976. It's not, it, it, like, it, it's not, it is a thing, because obviously The Godfather, like, Copeland knew what he was doing, but it was still more about the art more than going for it. Like, I feel like going for it didn't come about until the 80s. I feel like 76, I feel like... It's just like, hey, we're going to make this movie, Robert De Niro, can you dive into this character? And I literally, you you forget that it's Robert De Niro, and that's a hard fucking thing to do, especially for a 23-year-old who is watching Taxi Driver for the second time in his life, and who knows every single fucking Robert De Niro movie there is. Dude, I feel like you're, I feel like you're absolutely right. I, I, I'll say this, I feel like, as far as individual actors go, nobody started going for it until the 80s. I feel like more back in the day, they went for it movie-wide, you know? Right. Like, Sergio Leone with, like, in the late 60s with The Good and Bad and the Uglies, and it's, there's three, it's the, it's a, a fistful of dollars yeah. for a few dollars more, and yeah. then a Good and Bad and the Ugly. That motherfucker was going for it, but not for characters. Like you said, like, dudes didn't start going for it until, like, you know, like, you're like, oh they're going for it like you're going for right. it like we're we're all here to have you Al Pacino win an Oscar sir right. you know what I'm saying like right. yeah so like like back in the day like you're talking about in the 70s was like we're gonna make a great film and whoever blows we're all gonna blow and then it's so funny that all of them became famous because of the fucking taxi driver but yeah like you said like it wasn't manufactured it was organic right. it wasn't like oh I'm trying to get a shiny piece of metal it's just like dude how far can we take this character and how right. far can we take this plot and have it be... It's a fast-paced movie, too. Yeah. Which I like. Not indicative of the period. Most movies of the period were kind of slow burns back then. It was a fast-paced movie, very crazy. No, that's a good, that's a good point, and, dude. And it's the ending. It's the... 
he, he we can't up, we can't tell people. Right? All right, I won't tell him the ending. But when he looks into the mirror and fixes it real quick, that was it. I was like, "Yep, there it is. There it is. That's it. Give it to him." So number one, Robert De Niro. I'm going Taxi Driver. And I know, I know the vast majority of you haven't seen this film, and you owe it to your fucking self. Go dude. see, it. go see Taxi Driver. So Mike, that's all we got. That was a great fucking podcast. Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, go see all of these movies. Go see the ones we didn't mention. Go see Any Given Sunday, just for, for just for Al, Al Pacino's uh, speech alone. Uh, I can analyze this. Oh, hysterical. You couldn't even mention that. Go see King of Comedy. Yes. Go see Raging Bull. Yes. Go go see God. I mean, if you haven't seen Goodfellas, what the fuck? Are you yeah, doing? if you haven't seen Goodfellas, you should go lay in a fucking hole. Go go see Dog of the Afternoon. Go see Serpico. I mean, yep. these guys. De Niro has the crown, right? Yeah, it has to be just because, yeah. like you said, Pacino disappeared in the eighties. De Niro. De Niro was had King of Comedy and Midnight Run. Mm. Have you seen Righteous Kill? I know and no. No and no. No and no to the next question. No and no, we're not going to watch it together. <laughs> <laughs> no and no. Dude, because it's the only other one. It's the only other one. The funniest thing about it is, I know I mentioned this before when we were talking about Heat and how it was marketed. I remember the trailers, and that is exactly what they did with Righteous Kill 2. They were like, the first time since Heat, and we're like, we don't care. And I'm going to continue to believe that the Heat trailer is real because Righteous Kill does not exist, and this is the only movie. This is the only movie where they've been. Together. Together. So we are going to be out of here. Mike, next week, what do you want to do? Let's do directors. We're not, I don't want to know what directors we're going to do, but we, we're we slacking on directors. We've done all actors. Right? Yeah, we should do directors. You yeah. want to do a movie awards next week so I can give you two weeks to think about Yeah, directors? yeah, we'll bang right. out a movie awards. Alright, so we'll do uh, 1999. Oh, I'm hard. Good year, I'm a wrecked, dude. dude. Good I literally, year, <laughs> I literally got half a chub for 99, bro. <laughs> Like, very, very important year for me. Like, that that's when, like, that's when, like, pop culture started to enter my life, being seven years old. Like, hey, I have a say in this now. Like, hey, here we go. You're fucking cognitive. Yeah. You, like, came online, like, like oh, Pokemon. I'm Nick Fugil. <laughs> Before, I was just a nigga asking for peanut butter sandwiches, <laughs> but now I'm Nick Fugil. Ketchup and mustard sandwiches, actually. God damn, why are you so black? Why are kids so weird? Why are you so fucking black, dude? Like, you are probably, like, you don't have enough melatonin in your skin to be called black, but you are black, dude. Ketchup sandwich. <laughs> Shout out to my boy Steven Theroux eating ketchup sandwiches in Colorado right now, kid. Oh, God almighty. Well, I'm Nick Fugil. He's Mike Williams. We'll see you later. Stay frosty, boys. <laughs>